Hello, and welcome to Real Talk About Real Identity from Axiom. This podcast is devoted to important identity trends and the convergence of ad tech and martech. I'm Kyle Holloway, your podcast host, and I'm joined by our co-host, Dustin Rainey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Talk About Real Identity. Real Talk About Real Identity is focused on exploring the convergence and related disruption of martech and ad tech seen from an identity practitioner's lens. So, Dustin, you know, we continue to see market announcements and events that continue to send waves throughout the mad tech industry. Just recently, you know, Google parent Alphabet reported monster earnings with their advertising revenue in Q4 topping $61 billion, which is up 33% year over year. Hmm. You know, staggering numbers that further bolster the perception that many of their, quote, privacy moves are ultimately designed to drive adoption of and dependence on their advertising capabilities enabled by their full stack integration. You know, and then in other news, the Belgian Data Protection Authority has come out against the IAB and its Transparency and Consent Framework, or TCF, which would put IAB into a data controller status and therefore responsible for potential GDPR violations. Certainly, you know, the TCF is considered the best solution for managing consumer consent and privacy at this time, so this ruling is definitely going to cause concerns across, you know, a wide number of players in the EU and across the globe. So whether weaponizing identity to drive walled garden revenue or legislating the capture and sharing of identity data to further protect the individual consumer, you know, it seems that identity and privacy are inextricably tied together and advertisers are in a precarious position of needing to drive value and exceptional engagement with consumers while not tripping over these landmines that are moving on a daily basis. Yeah, Kyle, I, I think one of the biggest reasons that this idea of privacy is in the forefront of the, the consumer dialogue is because of major data protection breaches, like in the past 10 plus years. So there's some startling numbers out there when you start looking at it. Data breaches in the U.S. have skyrocketed from 662 in 2010 to over 1,000 in 2020. And the numbers are continuing to grow. On average, these data breaches cost companies north of $3.8 million per instance. As a matter of fact, there's a recent article from Forbes on the state of cybersecurity, and they stated, you know, bold in their words, 2021 was a devastating year for cybersecurity. Mm. 281.5 million people impacted by breaches in 2021. Cybercrime costing big numbers out there, companies $1.79 million per minute. Even as technology advances, uh, so do criminal capabilities. So with attackers now zeroing in on biometric hacking to expose vulnerabilities in touch ID sensors, facial recognition, and passcodes, cybersecurity spending is predicted to be over a trillion dollars in 2022. Man, that's mind-blowing. Huge numbers. Yep. So in light of all these statistics and the changing ecosystem, I'm super excited for today's guest. Joining us is Beth Ann Bigham, Chief Security and Compliance Officer at Axiom. So welcome, Beth Ann. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about yourself, your, your background? Well, thank you, Kyle and Dusty. I really appreciate taking the time out to have a conversation with you today. And I think what you're summarizing is spot on. The threat landscape is evolving. It's aggressive. It's a business. The actors that are targeting sensitive data, uh, personal data, they have a mission and they have a singular vision around that mission, which is being able to uh, grow financial outcomes from that. So my journey 
that brought me to Axiom started primarily in the healthcare space. I've spent a lot of years in a heavily regulated industry. When I think back over time, I, I joined in, in 2019, I think the leaders at Axiom really understood and saw the writing on the wall and were interested in having someone that has a rigorous understanding of security in a highly regulated industry to come bring some of those aspects so that we right-size the protection and understanding of what it means to ensure the confidentiality, the integrity, and the availability of data, but at the same time, do it in a way that is forward thinking and forecasting what we expect to see across uh, changes in the regulatory and the compliance landscape. You know, a funny story in my past life is that my nickname used to be the SOP queen back in the day because, you, you know, I could, I love a really good quality management system with some good procedures, <laughs> but we're way past that now. Everything needs to be automated. We are defending data at the code level. And I think when we talk about regulatory changes and what uh, leaders are doing from government level, you know, as much as we are passing these policies, we are under attack at the ones and the zeros, right? We're under attack at the code level. And so the more that we're able to automate what needs to be defined and, and protected and then maintain that with a resilient kind of constant evolve around how we stay secure at that automated level, I think then you're starting to have same kind of equal apples to apples kind of defense uh, strategy with where our threat actors, where they are. Wow. Yeah. Excellent points. And, you know, you really bring up this point about that it, it's an ongoing daily, even second by second kind of situation, right? Around this data. And certainly, kind of taking the identity lens to it of being, you know, you talk about coming from healthcare, which is certainly a highly regulated industry, but just the fact that brands are, are moving into this, uh, you know, first party centric world and identity being a core piece of that, which is names and addresses and phone numbers and emails, and even exploding out into mobile ad IDs and IP addresses, the number of elements kind of are being sought after by the bad actors just kind of continues to grow, but their relevance and importance within the, you know, marketing and advertising ecosystem also continues to grow. What are you hearing, you know, on this kind of ground level, you know, with clients, with vendors, like kind of what's their focus? What's, what's their primary uh, concern right now? You know, we've reached an apex, you know, if you think about the amount of data that has been aggregated across multiple different sectors, you know, we're at the place where the actors know how to compile data, just like we do, right? Just mm -hmm. like every industry does. The actors know how to compile data. And so even more now than ever, when we talk about hygiene, and we talk about being able to stamp the branded name of real identity as we continue to evolve through a myriad of different ways to compile an identity. And then looking forward, you know, future proofing our capability to confirm that as we are looking forward to the metaverse and a heavier digital footprint of what our identities look like. Companies that understand that are starting to look at what the term real identity even means today, right? And what is it going to mean uh, three years from now into five years from now? And that definition is going to change and the, and the ability to ensure the integrity of 
what defines a real identity has to constantly pivot. But at, at the end of the day, it's really anchored in some fundamental principles that balance between how we protect it from a data protection perspective, how we can validate the code that's processing the identity so that it cannot be compromised while we are running analytics or any kind of supporting solution. And so all of that is foundational to what we see is, is what we're going to call our identity supply chain, right? So we have a supply chain that supports all of our systems and services today. That's the foundational piece. And that underpinning or supports what we will eventually call our identity supply chain over time. And that supply chain is going to constantly change. Yeah, thanks, Bethann. With some of these staggering numbers, cybercrime costing companies 1.79 million per minute. I got to think that speed is also kind of the name of the game, right? Oh, yeah. So like for every second when when somebody's compromised, you know, the ability to, to really understand that they've been compromised and then react and respond to that. What are you seeing as, as kind of benchmarks maybe in that, that area? It's like how, how quickly are people able to respond to these attacks? For sure. I mean, when you're talking about cyber defense, the first thing that we're always concerned about is our immediate need to identify and then contain the situation. Um, in order to do that efficiently, it means that we're relying on newer capabilities um, you know, the tools that we used three years ago are in some cases are not the tools we're using now because they don't have enough machine learning or analytics capabilities embedded in the tools. I think when you summarize where we are from a defense perspective, and there's some industries that do it really well, and there's other industries that are a little bit still catching up, like fintech and some of the tech stack capabilities, they understand what it means to be on the ready and they're using advanced technology just as fast as some of the actors are. But it places pressure on your investment strategy. You're constantly looking at tools. As a matter of fact, partnering with some of the startups in the industry that are moving at a faster pace than maybe some of the other mm -hmm. traditional companies. So you're constantly making that, you know, pivoting and making that decision as to what's the right balance of, of tool sets. We also see this change when we look at cyber liability and insurance, when we watch the insurers and how they're changing their insurance strategy. Uh, I think companies that are able to continue to secure cyber liability insurance are, are making those investments to keep their tools and their defense capabilities more in pace and in line with what's happening in the marketplace. But speed is critical. And you know, folks that practice and understand that are the ones that are able to maintain response times. So I have a, a question that's kind of been at the forefront of my mind over the last couple of years. And, and now that you're on and you've got a different perspective that I want to tap into. So historically, Axiom and a lot of the industry players in kind of the MarTech space focused on identity resolution and for the purposes of being able to create a customer experience. But now you have an increased move or a challenge per se from kind of like single sign-on from CIAM or IAM vendors, um, including those that are really focused on identity assurance, even maybe identity credentialing. And, you know, I feel like I'm seeing, just as we saw a convergence between MadTech and, well, MarTech and AdTech, that I'm seeing some convergence in use case of these. Are you seeing that too? Kind of, I mean, because you've been more on that IAM side. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, look, at the end of the day, when we started this security cyber, you know, journey years ago, it was all around the endpoints. It's around protecting your infrastructure, your laptops, you know. We are accelerating past that to now where uh, any company that is investing time around securing the data and what does it actually mean to protect the data as it's passing across multiple environments, multiple stacks. Security, I had a a global CISO I I worked with, and his mantra was security is the enabler of a frictionless ecosystem. And the only way we can maintain that now is wrapping the security controls around that data, right? It's it's no longer, and and as we continue to move more in an accelerated pace, that's going to be the case even more. Obviously, you still have to secure the assets that the data is hosted in or processing on, but that's like, you know, ticket to entry, right? People that need to accelerate decision-making using analytics and capabilities that really are going to unearth the power of data, right? We've been talking about data as the next black gold, but some companies haven't really tapped into that power some have. And it's all around being able to have this data-centric security model that will confirm the source and the identity of that data while you're being able to process it through various types of of analytic capabilities. Hopefully I answered your question. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very interesting conversation. Man, yeah, yeah we're, we're, we'll take you down crazy paths, man. Um, so I'll take you down crazier path. So I, I like to kind of, I'm a visual person, I like to think of real life examples. And, you know, when I hear you both talking about, you know, this convergence of IAM and identity recognition, just like, you know, mad tech, real life example is like haptics or facial recognition, the ability to, to leverage things in this frictionless world, right? But yet hackers or the bad guys always try to figure out a way around it, um, whether it's spoofing, the ability to come in and maybe show someone else's face yeah. or, you know, is, there are concerns on like use cases, right? On how you leverage that, you know, this frictionless data. So we think about minority report and the sci-fi future where, you know, we don't have to tell someone who we are. It's just automatically kind of thrown out there. I've got to think that there are a ton of regulators and things you have to go through to enable a convergence at the endpoint. Like if I want to take this frictionless thing into marketing, into knowing who you are when I walk into a store, what are your thoughts on on kind of where regulation and, and all that stuff's going to going to meet in the middle? Yeah, I mean, the ability to bypass integrity checks, to your point, using, I mean, even the concept of how advanced the deep fakes are at this point, it is mm-hmm. concerning, right? And again, I continue to laugh at myself because, you know, when I started this journey and I really thought the quality management, which is really important, you know, having structure and and control is important. But I think the intersection is where we are able to truly automate that confirmation check, right? The policy is important because it enforces like the behavior that they expect companies with which to adhere but we, you know, like I said earlier, we are we are having a conversation now, and we're defending at the code level. So companies, and that's why I really like to partner with a lot of startups because individuals, the startups are they are the ones that really understand it, right? 
they are starting to shape security solutions that can leverage what processing, artificial intelligence processing, machine learning, NLP parsing, in order to validate, is this really a legitimate identity? Has it been factored or has it been doctored? And I was on a LinkedIn chat conversation with a peer of mine, and we were talking about being able to confirm identity in the physical realm, let alone my digital identity and the copy that of me in my metaverse, you know, if I'm going to sign up for Warner Brothers, you know, concerts that they're going to host. Are we there yet? I don't think so. I think the CISOs and the companies that have a security organization that understand what's coming, they're starting to put thought leadership behind it. They're investing in research on how do we start getting ready for that pivot, They and they need to really start to look at that. There's aspects of what we do in security right now that are going to be dino- it's a, it's, a, it's a dinosaur functionality, right? And so we need to be on top of that, so we're not in a place where there's some extinction. So uh, I think you're spot on, Dustin. So that leads me to another question, (laughs) (laughs) which we tend to do here. And that is this interesting dichotomy of anonymity, which you hear so much about, especially in the digital realm and consumers seeking or the perceived consumer expectation of anonymity. I say perceived because sometimes I question if we're really in line with what the consumer really wants, but the perceived expectation of anonymity, and then this aspect of security and compliance and everything, right? And we kind of had a funny moment, just kind of real world was, you know, that aspect of CCPA, which came out and says, like, forget me. Well, I got to remember you to forget you, right? And so this (laughs) creates this weird dynamic of like, can I, you know, am I allowed to remember you so that I can forget you the way you want me forgotten? Or do I just, you know, have some type of really short-term memory and I just keep remembering you over and over as something new. So what is your take on that as a security professional, when you hear all this anonymity stuff, does that bring concern to you or what, what's your perspective? You know, I, I think we have to have a certain level of uh, demonstrating back to the regulators that we are complying, right? So to your point with the do not or forget me request, I have to be able to show that I've pulled the data off of any kind of instance on the network, including backups. But then at the same time, from a cyber defense perspective, I also need to make sure I'm able to confirm if we were hosting that identity in the first place, if something were to happen. So there's a balance between, I think the challenge is, especially in any industry, there's a balance between a framework, right? And what a framework says from an expectation perspective, and then how you're going to execute that framework so that you're able to operate and maintain a level of of integrity in the services that you're providing. I do feel as though as we move through the changes and the evolution of what an identity is, the definition of an identity, what makes up the components of an identity, they are going to massively change. And it's going to move more toward biometric versus address, right? Who I am as a person is going to have to be more around things related to my physical being versus my physical experience. So I think over time, we're going to see attributes. I'll give you an example. If I have an account with a company and I have you know, maybe exchange some services with this company and then later I'm not really happy with them and I and I want to be forgotten and I submit that. And then they say, yes, we did forget you. But then later I start receiving emails 
you know, from that company again, you know, what's the approach to confirm, did they maybe make a mistake in forgetting me or has somebody resurrected my identity and using it, you know, as, you know, me wanting to purchase things from that company. There, there has to be some kind of balance. And I think when we start looking forward to future proof services in this category, we have to be able to confirm, but more importantly, the disconfirming aspect of validating is going to be more important than that confirmation piece. So do I have an answer right now, Kyle? I'm sorry. I, I don't have an exact answer, <laughs> but I do have what I believe to be is some principles that'll be in effect as we continue to move through this journey. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, you kind of pulled out, right? Those multi-factor authentication kind of questions, right? Yeah. What do you know? What do you have? And what are you, you know, what that biometric aspect, so those combinations. And and I, I think you are going to see a migration, or maybe even it could be much faster than a migration, in the marketing and analytics space of embracing some of those, what traditionally were, you know, high assurance or, or security-related aspects of identity. Yeah. And it's going to become more about those things than just, where can I send you a piece of mail? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. It is, <laughs> for it is about the consumer journey at that point. So, I can tell you that another piece, that, now I, I, this is not necessarily from a security perspective, but just from an identity, the complexity of identity as mm -hmm. we move through this journey. I think the economic pressure and the changes that we're seeing in governments uh, and then the way people are responding to the prolonged, you know, the compression or the pressure of the pandemic. I think that's going to be an opportunity to really analyze identities in a way that we've never had to in the past. I think our approach to grouping people based on commonalities, I think will evolve because the commonalities will dissipate. I think there's aspects of, of I mean, Kyle, you and I've had this conversation, you know, I happen to be black American, but I'm also, you know, conservative, you know, and there's this mix of dynamics that I think you're going to see pop out even more or become more apparent pressures associated with the economic compression, as well as the well-being right. of, our, of our data. I think there's more to come. And I think, like I said earlier, companies that get this, they're going to start pivoting their investment strategy to start looking at data-centric security capabilities for even more than your traditional endpoint capabilities. There's this kind of massive shift to first-party data, right? Being you know central. We're moving away from potentially third-party identifiers like cookies and, and things that maybe you didn't even know companies had that are tracking you over time. So on the marketing and advertising side, you know, there's this kind of movement towards like consent and things like that. I wondered on the, the cybersecurity side of this need for more sharing almost, whether it does make more sense to, for a central body to understand at scale activity across the internet, right? So it's, it's almost this dichotomy, right? That's happening. And what are your thoughts there? For sure, we definitely need consistent oversight. But here's the funny thing. Actors are still being able to penetrate environments, harness data just from the same principles they were using 20 years ago. Secure code, architecture, these are so important aspects of how we design and develop capabilities in which or on which that data is being processed or serviced. I think once all corporations, all organizations together really are more resilient in that space, then you'll see us pivot to a more accelerated focus on things, all things data. 
But even in this transition to first party data, at the end of the day, our mission is still ensuring the confidentiality, integrity, and the availability of that data by defending at the code level, which means we have to have resilient software development and hygiene practices. Great call out. I know we're starting to get a little closer to time. Just one area when we're talking about that, since we're talking about data management and such, uh, that's a big topic still is movement to the cloud and for our brands and our clients that we support, as well as just in general within the industry, what's your kind of update and take on security as it relates to cloud? And I know you're in, involved in so many different audits and all that kind of stuff. Do we have like nine hours that we could talk about? <laughs> <laughs> what? I know it's a big one. Real, Summarize. Real, <laughs> yeah. Uh, really simple, you know, our cloud partners do a fantastic job securing what we would consider infrastructure as cloud. And that's really the, mm -hmm. the part of the stack that they own and manage. At the end of the day, in order for us to maintain the trust and expectation from our clients, we still have to be diligent on, on that application or middleware up, you know, the application product side of the stack. And that is a fun area to uh, continue to explore different kinds of testing, cyber response capabilities, but it's still the same process. It's still the same practice, just different technology. Great. I know. Was that fast? Uh, always that was fast. <laughs> okay. That was fast. And I'm sure we could dive even deeper in, and, and we may have you back on in particular to do that. But uh, we are coming up on, on our time today, and, and Beth, I know it's been super insightful. I love uh, just hearing you talk about this stuff and your passion and, and uh, expertise in this area is just so evident. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm always glad to have you on our side. Well, so. I appreciate you guys too. You are um, <laughs> helping us uh, break through a new chapter for sure. Well, thank you. So we always like to end and, and I'll definitely be interested with you being on the front lines uh, battling for us every day. Uh, when you look to the future, you know, out 2035, what does consumer engagement look like in particular in the area of like identity and this aspect of security around that? Do you see something that's kind of scarier, more Orwellian and uh, how it looks, or do you see kind of brighter days ahead? You know, trust is going to be a fundamental perspective, no mm. matter what. Uh, I have another colleague of mine who <laughs> his his whole concept is it shouldn't be like a privacy officer. It should be the off the trust officer, right? Brands that understand their consumers' concern is they 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 will understand how important trust is, right? If I trust that brand and I trust the organization behind the brand, then I'm going to spend time with you. And then I'm going to provide data. If I'm not so sure about that, then I, I may be a bit more hesitant. And I think we have to keep that top of mind as we are constantly designing. Obviously, from a security perspective, that data protection piece is what enables the trust because we are able to be resilient. We have to respect the fact that if not, it's when we ha always have to be resilient for that. Yeah. Well, Beth Ann, uh one, we know knowledge builds trust and we are super grateful at Axiom to have you just that, that experience is so evident. Definitely want to thank you for being on and sharing, you know, all your insights in this super important area of security. Uh, and I want to thank all of our listeners again for joining us uh, for more information about the podcast and uh, finding other episodes of Real Talk. Uh, visit us at axiom.com slash Real Talk. 
and find us on your favorite podcast platform. So thanks, and we'll see you next time.